You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. This is Ken Vellante with the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. And we have Chloe Nicholas here, um, an illustrator who uh, caught my eye uh, the New York Times uh, book review uh, cover and uh, beautiful uh, illustrations and art. Chloe, welcome to the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. Um, I would uh, say that um, seeing, I, I get excited by kind of fantastical deep images of worlds. So like when I was look at um, the work that you've done and has been published like I said the New York Times uh, book review Harper's and Spirit Box (laughs) Um, yeah just incredible incredible work and uh, I look at it and um, there's there's one in particular with these the spiral staircase and as you go down through all these levels there's just these magnificent worlds and levels that are within it and invoke it really quickly so I kind of just drop in and, and go into that tell us how like you're you're doing this work for for a bit and the New York Times uh, book review is a is a beautiful uh well loved publication with magnificent art How'd you end up there? How'd you end up there? And what's, what's part of your story in, in, in your work? Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, starting off freelancing, I was emailing my work, just cold emailing to art directors. Um, editorial work is one of the easier places to start off as an illustrator. It's just like a a one-off job for a magazine or a newspaper or something like that. And uh, they were one of the people that I was emailing. And uh, one day, the art director, Matt Dorfman, he just responded, and he gave me an assignment for the cover. Uh, so and then and then that could have sort of started um, a really nice working relationship. So that's been going really well. Yeah, I just cold emailed with some images and uh, an intro. And then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think they saw the images. I think they saw the images and moved from there. Thank you. <laughs> um, one of the, the, the pieces here that uh, I just wanted to mention as far as like my uh, interaction with uh, one of you, some of your images, um, I love that some of them were uh, tied to uh, choose your own adventure. Oh, books, yes. Yes. Which I um so. Uh, I grew up in the 80s, and uh, those books were really prominent kind of like uh, at that time. They were kind of like D&D, Dungeons and Dragons-inspired books and fighting fantasy. And those books were so important to me. And again, going back to all the worlds type of thing where, you know, just growing up uh, in the city, just messing around and stuff, but I, I love books and those illustrations, both the words and the adventure within them, but the, the, the illustrations just were always so powerful and moving and fantastic. I almost always felt like, look at this drawing that's in this like paperback book. Um, so I just want to tell you when I saw those images, it kind of recaptured my, uh, connection, uh, to that. And I was just thrilled to see 
your work there. Uh, anything in particular about that type of uh, adventurous um, book series that uh, yeah, you're connected with? That was one of my first assignments ever. Uh, I actually got assigned that in 2018. And um, at the time, I thought I was going to be mostly doing like middle grade sci-fi, mystery, fantasy genres for that age group. And I still would like to do that. Um, but that was like what I was gearing towards. And so um, I emailed them and they responded to me. It was like the, the first response that I ever got from a publisher or an art director. And uh, yeah, the, and what I really loved about it was that it wasn't just like a, a fantastical story, but it was also tying into um, historical figure, Matahari. And, um, and so that was really fun to learn about because I got to learn all about her and, uh, I listened to a bunch of podcasts about her and, uh, got to do a lot of research. That's, what's really fun about, um, about illustrating is that you get to learn, uh, in depth about each piece, each project that you're working for at a given point. Um, and that, and learning about that whole era of time that she was in, and having to research, like, you know, the the kinds of clothes and um, all the locations that things were taking place, and um, so it was definitely like a a historical fiction fantasy um, genre of work. It was a lot of fun, yeah. very imaginative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for bringing out those other components too. And I saw the. The piece actually, yeah, of course, referring to Mata Hari, and I, I saw uh, one, one image of um, Mata Hari, and I think with the dolphin in it, almost, <laughs> again, almost like the spiral funnel, but there's a world down into the ocean, but it's fascinating to see within the spirals, um, feathers and natural pieces. And uh, <laughs> I just was looking at it and this thing should not be, but is and should be, you know, like very quickly. Um, beautiful image. Uh, what was it like putting that together, that process? Uh, yeah, well, that that piece, I think that piece is one of my favorites that I had done for the book. And it was a very, like, I remember that piece very vividly because um, the the request for that image was to have her riding a dolphin through a space vortex that was underwater. And I had no idea at the time. I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to draw this. Like I had never yeah. drawn anything like that before. And um and I realized just how many abstractions there are in making an image like that and like having that come across realistically. It's like a combination of a wormhole and like bits of water and seaweed and uh, like watery types of textures. And um, it ended up being a lot of fun. And I just, I was very intimidated by it at first. And then it became the best piece of the book, I think. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really wonderful. And I think one of the, in hearing you describe it, one of the things that I connected to was like in my head was, um, yeah, the space, the space ocean thing, right? Because how do you transport quickly between those two? But then I think <laughs> about when I've looked at like underwater 
like the life that lives there and that whole world that's like underneath us. And it's always compared to alien, like otherworldly. So for me, there's an inherent connection between those two, but they oh, seem yeah. opposite. And I think that the art pulls it together. It's like, I didn't know that I was seeing that vortex. Obviously there's a vortex there that can, brings in these components. But for me, it created that juncture of ocean space. Yeah, same thing, kind of, but not. <laughs> yeah, well, I think like visually, if you think about it, there probably are a lot of similarities. Um, just like if there, you know, if you look at a, a wave or like a water vortex, and then you see like a wormhole in outer space, there are a lot of like similar yeah. um, tone, like similar tonal shapes going on. Um, just a lot of abstractions, and yeah. the key was to like figure out the shapes of those tones and abstractions and then like kind of fit them together, collage them together <laughs> visually. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. It, it ended up working out pretty well. Um, so I was, I was happy with that. Yeah. Space. I definitely think that space and deep ocean are very much are very similar many ways yeah i was thinking too about the darkness right i mean you go it's so dark uh and i also think about the inability for humans to naturally <laughs> go into those places without some sort of tech to it's survive true. it's true you know? they're both um, both of those realms are so mysterious to us you know yeah. we both like to go and explore any of those areas we need so much equipment just to survive yeah, I think I'm thinking now and thinking of some of the past episodes, I dropped into some like marine biology a couple times. And it's probably like there's an there's just a, a, a pursuit that I'm thinking about now that's kind of more similar than I thought. OK, Chloe, um, talking about identity and talking about being an artist, I had a question about when did you see yourself uh, as as an artist? Was it uh, feeling all of a sudden how did how did you have artists is in how do you have artists in your identity i always i was always seeing myself that way um when i could hold a pencil i was enjoying drawing since then and then by the time i was four i had a callus on one of my fingers from drawing for so many hours um yeah it's always been that way since the very beginning i think uh, you felt compelled, like just is. A, did you do you recognize it early on as just like like think something you needed to do, or did you like see it as like to to help with like stress or anxiety? Like it was just a compulsion. Just you just did it. Yeah, I think it. I mean, I think it had. I think it does change over time uh, throughout the course of your life. Like as a kid, it. I think it was more a sense. It was more um, helping relieve stress or. Um, anxiety and uh, I was always very introverted so I just liked to be alone most of the time <laughs> and drawing and um, and then like as you go through life it's you know it kind of goes through phases um, it was always there it was always like yes this is probably what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life um, and yeah. then like, as you start to work in it professionally, sometimes then it can become the source of your stress because now you're under super tight deadlines for it and everything. Um, but at the end of the day, if I wasn't doing it professionally, I would still be doing it for myself because that's what I like to do. And that's what it's always been for me. 
Um, yeah, I used to stay up really late as a kid. I would like, if I couldn't get to sleep, I would like go back and start drawing really, really late at night, listen to books on tape, um, still do that to this day with podcasts. So <laughs> yeah, I, you mentioned that now. That's what I'm thinking. Like, I'm like, I'm like old enough to know like the books on tape, books on tape, 24 of them or a 50 pack with the Stephen King book. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then and then, you know, after it was cassette tapes, then it was uh, on CD. Right. And then and then uh, people had them. I never did this, but people would download them onto their devices and whatnot. People still do that. But for me, it's podcasts now because they're just ongoing and there's never there's no end point to podcasts. So, yes, thank you. I'm going to zone in on a promo here with Chloe. Thank you very much. I love. Well, I've been talking more about podcasts on the show. And like when I got into podcasts, I've said recently, I. I didn't like I wasn't into them. Like for me, it was the medium. Like it wasn't like I heard a bunch. Like I heard good podcasts. I'm not being like that. Like I heard really good podcasts, but yeah. I wasn't like into them. It wasn't a habit. It wasn't habitual. And you know, I. But when I started, it was like the medium itself. And now, deep into this, I see myself as very much an advocate for this on some of the principles of like access, and you know, one big piece. The heck with everything else, like dropping into pieces of culture, like or geek culture or weirdness or whatever, where people feel comfortable and there's hundreds of people dropping in and being like, let's talk about this shit. Like podcasts do that. And I feel that people can connect. I really do. I feel people connect and be heard. And just hearing about how doing research, I've had a lot of conversations recently about people doing research where now they'll say, maybe not just say Google it. They'll be like, oh, I'll check out a podcast of how to fix the carburetor or something. I don't know that would work. I can't fix anything. But, you know, like like you're talking about being like, I'm going to podcast this. And my goodness, if they've replaced uh, both my addiction and your addiction to books on tape, I think that's what's happened. It's just transferred. Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, but it's great. I mean, I and I definitely agree with you that podcasts feel so much more accessible and um, and it's not so formal. Like it's it's a conversation. It feels like you're at least when I'm working on a piece. Um, you know, like you spend so much time alone, and sometimes it's just very isolating. And yeah. when you're listening to a podcast, it feels like there's other people in the room with you, and you're like not alone. You're not so alone working. You're kind of like listening in on a conversation. So it's nice. Yeah, I also. I also think it's like something about like, like talking about art and bigger questions, which sometimes can like open up for myself, like as the host, but for artists themselves, I know I've talked to artists and like, they were, they were struggling. Like they weren't feeling good. Like they weren't productive. I mean, think about a pandemic recently and like, what am I doing? And at times they're like, when I did the episode, they're like, you know, like, what is art? They're like, this is why I'm friggin' doing this shit. Like, I know now, like, why I am. And it doesn't always happen that way. Somebody, you know, everybody's different. But I think there's a hopefulness, like, in, in art or, like, an excitement, you know. Um, I wanted to, speaking of art, I have to ask you a couple of the, the bigger ones and just kind of, like, learn your ideas about 
what you dedicate yourself towards. Um, the big question, uh, Chloe, is is what is art? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a lot of things to a lot of different people. Um, it serves a lot of different functions, and um, I I think like just in terms of illustration versus fine art, there are different slightly different functions there. I mean, there are a lot of parallels and overlaps, so it, there are a lot of similarities there. But illustration usually um, is getting paired with a piece of writing or um, something that's getting published. Uh, in the case of an editorial, it's it's going alongside an essay or an article or um, short story, something of that nature. So it is fulfilling a purpose beyond uh, just the image itself, which I think, um, you know, in the fine art sphere, sometimes it's it's like just about the image itself, but in the illustration sphere, it's there's like a it's part of a, a larger piece that's going out. Yeah, yeah. I was talking uh, in a recent episode um, with Lauren Redness and, uh-huh. and talking about the composition of 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 the whole and, and think about all the disparate components of you know, creating a book and such. And there's the different processes you talk about where you immerse yourself in what is the image to, you know, to express and what somebody's doing. But there's a skill you have to have to be part of a component as part of, of a part of the whole. So it's like a work, you know, that work process. Do you like, uh, do you, do, do you like uh, freelancing and uh, and in, in, does that match um, kind of like your approach to um, how you think about art? I think, yeah. I mean, I personally, I really like to do my own personal work as well. And um, I like to freelance too, because I like working with art directors. And um, the great thing about that is that you're always learning about something new and different and you never know what it's going to be. And it keeps things very interesting. Um, there's just, there's, you just never know what is next that you're going to have to learn about and then draw with that. Um, and it's great to collaborate with, with art directors too, because they're very smart people and um, they'll, they'll get you to kind of expand yourself in ways that you never thought that you would. Um, but then making personal work is great too, because you get to do whatever you want. I get to, you know, make the weird things that I want to make that I might not necessarily get the chance to make on, on an assignment. I get to, I get to kind of make things exist that I wish existed in the world um, that I can't, you know, but, but, you know, with, with assignments, you, you do try to channel yourself into them as much as you can, because um, that's also what helps make it interesting for other people as well. Yeah. I always think there's something about like, uh, there's always, I, I always feel like a natural resistance to being thrust into the assignment. You know, right. it's like within a range of, of what I, what I would want to do, but it's yeah. like thrust is always kind of like a oppositional component for myself where I'm like, at least initially where I'm like, no, no, no. I, I get that. I, yeah, yeah, no, I can understand that for sure. Um, I think, yeah, but, but the, the thing about it is um, a lot of times the art director knows your work to a certain degree that they can match you with something that they think is that, that, that they think that you can do well. And um, 
you know, sometimes it's really surprising. Sometimes it's like something that you never would have imagined doing for yourself. But then you take it on and then you realize like, oh, like actually I could make this really cool. Like I could kind of inject my own interests into this in in this way or that yeah. way. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, there are a lot of opportunities to do that. Um, but yes, I mean, that's why, I think that's why it's always important to also be doing your own personal stuff when you're not on an assignment so that you can fulfill your own artistic. Yeah. Needs. And I think with talking about assignments too, is like, if you, if you're, I, I think I've been thinking a lot about this lately, like in a supportive environment and you have eyes around you and people see what you can do because you don't know, you don't know all that stuff. Like none of us do, but who are cued into and see what you can do. So you get the assignment, you get the challenge and you're like, a little bit of the same type of thing, like, but then like get into it. And then every time I'm in that situation and I go through almost every single time I can think of when I know there's merit to doing it when I'm done, I'm like, I'm smarter than I was. Yeah. Like, cause I, I know more and I knew I like, I learned how to deal with that reaction in, in be pushed in a way. So when you have folks around you like that, and like you said, the eyes of somebody, thinking about your assignment they're like she doesn't know she can do this maybe mm -hmm. or connect these things but she can so that's the next <laughs> one and then then that's 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 good right yeah for sure i think you know there there are a lot of great reasons to work with art directors um and they they can see possibilities for your work that you might never have imagined for yourself and if it's not like and not that this this doesn't happen that frequently with me thankfully but like if something isn't going that well, or if you're not really into the assignment that you're doing, it, it, there's a, there's a very definite end point to it. So it's like you finish it and then it's over with and then you yeah. move on. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder, like, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you something. It's like a little, maybe of a little bit of a, uh, of a thought experiment, but one of the things um, going back to recent conversation I had was, um, I'm looking through a, a book in this instance, again, going back to Lauren Redness mm -hmm. in my head, a book called Oak Flat. And it's this in, in, incredible book. And one of the questions I asked, I'm like, there's this whole world that's within this book, no doubt. And you hold it up and then, but you go within it and you take one disparate image that's part of a continuum. It's almost like think about comic books or sequential art. And then you pull it out and you show it. Mm -hmm. And you display it in a museum setting. Museum setting says to me, hey, folks, bigger deal. There's a little bit of, you know, it's it's on the wall. And I think about that thing as sometimes when I see somebody's work, again, how it's presented. Hey, New York Times book review cover. Freaking awesome. It's compelling. Draws you in. But I think to myself, you and others. It's a sunny uh, boulevard in L.A. It's a great day. It's a good art district and environment. Somebody walks into the gallery, lots of light coming in. And in your in your room in display, there's 10 of those the image displayed the way that you want them. I become so fascinated with the idea in that type of experiment, because for me, people who aren't like really into art need to be shown. Mm -hmm. Like they need to be presented in such a way and not artificiality, like 
look at this, behold this and look at it in this, in this setting. And it's the same piece. Your work is, you know, discreet and in, in, in those pieces, but even taking a look at like choose your own adventure. And then they like, they're super big. I always think about how things are presented and how that impacts, um, uh, the artist and, and the audience. Do you think about things in those, uh, uh, type of ways or did what I say is kind of like that idea? Yeah. So, um, so I think that like for assignments, you know, it's, it's usually being printed in something like a, yeah. a magazine or something like that. So there are like technical aspects to it. Um, yeah. you know, like thinking about like, is this going to print dark or is this going to, um, you know, is something, is this detail not going to show up very well because it's very small and it's going to print at this size. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, there are like very technical aspects to, um, illustration that way. I think with gallery work, it's a, it's a whole other ballpark, right? Because then it's about the space that it's sitting in and, uh, the lighting yeah. and, um, the way that it's all arranged and, um, but what's, what's cool about, uh, experiencing art in a gallery setting instead of like in print is that you can get right up close to the piece and you can see like the, everything that yeah. actually went into it in a lot higher yeah. resolution than you can if it was in print. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, and part of it too, I've learned on the show is like, is not to, assume like a reverence for institution, right? Like, cause I've had conversation with artists who like really got me into a good conversation about, you know, you celebrate street art as well. And there's exclusivity and all those type of things. I think in general, the reason why I was asking is I'm, I'm just really fascinated by how things are shown and displayed and their impact on people. I'll give you another example. I've had a guest, uh, on, uh, Brianna C. Martins, who does yes. um, Spooky Girls. I was really uh, into that episode, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but here's this, like, um, you know, so I'm deeply fascinated by the, the the people and the ghosts and the history and how they're depicted. She's pulling out these spirits. I don't know what's going on. It's art. It's beautiful. Yeah. But I saw just recently she had a post on Instagram where the whole thing was laid out. And it was enormous. Like I, she mentioned that in the show, but it was like, if you look at like a massive bay window, wow! like that was the depiction. And I think about display, you see things on Instagram and you're like, Oh, what an image. And like, you get pulled in, but then I'm like, she told me they were big, but they're like, you know, cathedral ceiling. <laughs> like, I mean, they're just very big. Wow. And, um, it was such a radical thought because I'm like, what was I look, you know, like, what am I looking at as far as the the thing itself? I'm glad you enjoyed that episode. That was completely fascinated by. Yeah. Everything I, there. I didn't, you just kind of blew my mind too. I didn't realize that they were that big. I mean, cause when you see again, there's a, the whole context of scale, right. And that's a huge, yep. that's a huge issue with Instagram is that a lot of times, unless you make, um, intentional efforts to show the scale of something you might not know, know. how big something is. No, 
Um, yeah. And her work is really interesting too, because I also kind of am interested in those like old photographs um, that like, and I saw her work too and everything. I just found it very fascinating. Well, yeah. And uh, after that episode, I picked up a old photograph habit that I didn't have uh, <laughs> before. And even on the episode, she was mentioning that she finds some of her photos. She's up in Massachusetts, finds them down in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, where I was born. And I'm like, oh my God, now I'm, <laughs> I go over to the bookstore, browser's bookstore, a block and a half away and check out the ephemera. <laughs> it's so fascinating. I've, I've always, yeah. I mean, it's just really fascinating. And, and I've seen those, you know, at, in antique stores, they have like boxes of, yep. you know, centuries old photographs in them and they belonged. Like you just wonder who's, who are these people and who were, who owned these that they ended up here. And like, they're so anonymous, the people in them. And yet, like they had full fledged lives of their own. And this is like sort of the last record of them that people centuries yeah, in the in future will see. Yeah. In a, in a box. And it's like, I think there's something in that once, once Brianna hooked me on the idea of it's like, I think if you're sensitive to it as well, right. I think about stories, right. I mean, it's all about stories that yeah. girl, that girl has this face on it. She didn't get this one little thing that's captured. And now there's a whole story from 1902 that you're like, Whoa, absolutely. You know? Like if you're sensitive to it, you know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's, that's why I was so obsessed with them for so long, even though there were people that I had no connection to whatsoever. Each each of those things tells a whole story. Every single detail in one of those images tells an entire backstory. Tells, yeah. I mean, anybody mm-hmm. who you know is versed in um, in dissecting any of those images can tell you what time period each thing is from, and then that tells you like roughly the years that it was taken in, and then you know about their lives because the details in their clothes and things like that. There's just infinite information that you can pick up from those. Yeah. We're going to have to uh, do a old photograph rabbit hole. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure that one out. Next. <laughs> that would be so uh, cool. on, the old, on the old photographs. I asked you um, your thoughts about what art is. And another question I have related to what it is, is mm-hmm. um, what its role is and whether that role has changed say now things going on does it feel different but what is the the role of art yeah well I think I definitely think it has had um, it it has had a prevalent role ever since humans have been making it I mean if you go all the way back like the first forms of art like the early hominids making art those had very significant functions in their lives and it it follows us all the way up into present day and, and, you know, anytime that there's something, anytime that there's like sort of rupture in society or like big things going on in our, in our development as humans, uh, then it's, it plays a role there too. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it also serves your own personal needs too. It's, it's, it's um, for the public, but also very much for yourself and um, fulfilling your own your own needs and your own um, things that you need to get out, out of your system and into the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hear that. I don't always ask this question because it um, I think it's asked a lot and not that it's not useful, but uh, 
I, I, I'm one thing I am really interested in as far as uh, seeing your work is what type of things you were looking at, you know, when you're growing up or now, like the, the influences and things that, that go into there. I'm just interested in yeah. that. So that's why I'm asking. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember um, when I was very young, I think like six, maybe uh, one of my uncles would babysit me a lot while my parents were working. And he had a PhD in physics and math. And um, so I would ask him about black holes. And uh, he, would, he would tell me about how, like, as something is approaching a black hole, it gets stretched out. It's, it gets elongated yeah. because it's speeding yeah. up um, as it gets closer and closer, as it gets sucked into it. It, like, just elongates until it, like, sort of breaks apart. And... So the, the question I would always ask him is like, what happens if a human gets too close to a black hole? And he was yeah. like, well, they would get like really elongated out a lot. But you yourself wouldn't be able to um, perceive that from your own if you were the person. But as a bystander yeah. watching it happen to somebody else, um, that, that's what they would see. And I just remember at the time my mind, I was so mind blown by that because yeah. That's not anything that we would ever be able to see in our day-to-day lives, but that is absolutely what we would see in that context yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah. And that sort of set the stage for the kinds of things that I would find fascinating for the rest of my life. The things that we can't that that we would never be able to see in our own day-to-day, but that in a different context, they're behaving in such a radically different way that we are not used to. And that creates sort of a, a jarring image almost. Yeah. I, um, I always get a thrill in, in, you know, like in talking art and philosophy and, um, uh, you know, science in, in, in physics, cause I haven't done as many shows as, as I want to, but like something rather than nothing. I mean, you could present it as a science, you know, a science explanation, oh, sure. a science show. For I mean, sure. Not, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what I've done with something rather than nothing with the podcast, but I do support it. I think it's a good thing, yeah. but, um, you know, so you can approach it different ways. And I've had like, um, an episode with, uh, Dr. Erin McDonald, who's, you know, P- PhD astrophysicist. She's even an animated character in a Star Trek Oh, wow. Uh, animate, yeah, they animated her. So, you know, like, we all want to be animated, I think. <laughs> and, uh, but um, it was such a cool episode because I was able to really, like, drop down into um, not a passing fancy, but something I've studied on the side for a long time, uh, trying to understand because my my background is formally uh, English literature and philosophy. That's awesome. And, yeah. And, and labor, you know, so, but on the science piece, what happened to me when I was studying philosophy and let's say for the sake of discussion, these questions, the big questions, I, my head was in traps because there were like Western philosophy traps. I, my mind got out of some of these traps by um, understanding Eastern philosophy and studying Buddhism uh, deeply, and by being taught informally in developing my thinking on science and quantum mechanics and astrophysics, by like talking to people, being like, 
I'm interested in what you do. Can you talk at me for two hours? And some of them would, <laughs> you know, like, and that's, so I always get thrilled when you, and you're talking about like that thing that you can't see, right. The elongated person. And, uh, I think Mr. Fantastic of the Fantastic Four. I'm like, that's where Mr. Fantastic comes from. He's all stretchy. I'm like, that's what I think of. But I love talking about each of these different type of things, you know, art, philosophy, science, because if the question is bold enough, uh, philosophy ain't going to give you the answer to everything I've been asking or like try to ask. It, it, there's, there's a lot of ways to think about why the hell it all is. Yeah. All right, Chloe. Sorry, long lead, and I ain't gonna let you give you the chance to talk there. <laughs> Why is there something rather than nothing? Yeah. So I've been thinking about this. Um, so I think that there's a couple of answers. So the the short, boring answer is we don't know. Uh, <laughs> the longer, more interesting answer, I think, is that the. I mean, if you go back to if we get like literal for a second, we go back to the big bang um, and we ask like, well, what came before that, you know, or like, did something happen before that? We don't know. But if it was intentional, uh, you know, if we look at, if we look at the the Fibonacci sequence and how that shows up in a lot of different patterns um, in nature. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Yeah, the the Fibonacci sequence that shows up, um, you know, in in flower petal patterns and in snail shells and in um, all variety of different patterns in nature. Um, there's something about it that that just almost seems intentional, like it was meant to be designed that way. And yeah. I don't know, like, I you know, if if that is the case, then uh, then you know, maybe there's like some kind of higher, higher intelligence out there. Um, but if there is, then I think that it's probably so abstract that it's like so beyond what we're able to comprehend. And humans yeah. tend to project themselves, their own qualities onto that kind of thing all the time because that's what humans do. They, they fill in the gaps of what they don't know. Um, so, but my guess, like if that is, if that, if there is something like that, then it probably is like way beyond our understanding and we might never, we might never understand fully grasp the magnitude of it and how it all works. And I think that there's a lot more to reality than what we are privy to at this point in time as well. I, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. And I really like the, um, psychological components to the answer because I really I really jibe with that about like you know it, there's like an agnostic undercurrent right like uh, that where I I I have this mind um can I declaratively state that something cannot exist and if I mm-hmm. can't declaratively state that something does not exist then you're left in a position of openness, I think, or yeah. investigation or, um, and that's, that's for me. Like I've defined myself politically as an atheist. Cause like when I'm in public and I'm dealing with people, I don't want to, I don't want to freaking get into the debate. It's not where I want to spend my time. Yeah. What I do want to do is explore, explore the questions and have an audience and be able to, you know, to get into it. But 
you know, those kind of easy fights that are out there, at least for me, about the way somebody behaves as a religious person, those are all around us. Right. You know, it's just like, how do we get at this question productively and with a curious spirit? And like I said, I love the psychological piece of like how we project ourselves. Like, there's always something if like, God looks like a, you know, 72 year old white man with a big beard. Then right. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, come on, come on. There's so much that we don't know. And like, we're finding out more all the time about different things in the universe, but I think it's always good to keep an open mind and um, be open to the fact that we don't know how it all works as much as we might like to think that we do. Yeah. A uh, different question. You ever tried to depict the elongated person, <laughs> the idea of the elongated person? I have thought about it. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Cause I'm, I'm on other assignments. Um, <laughs> but if I ever get a chance, <laughs> don't, don't tempt you. Don't tempt you. We have deadlines. <laughs> well, if I, if I ever get a chance, I will gladly take it on. <laughs> so. I, uh, no, that is, that, that, that's really super. Um, uh, Chloe, I want to, I want to just ch uh, chat or let have you tell, um, some folks about maybe, uh, where to find, where to find your work, um, what you got going on generally with, with your art and ideas like that. Yeah. Um, I have a website, it's chloenicholas.com. And my Instagram is also chloe.nicholas. And uh, people might see my work in the wild as it gets published. Um, I have a couple of things coming out soon that I don't think I can say yet because it's not published yet. So Yeah, that's fine. But, um, yeah, that'll be coming soon. And, uh, yeah, th those are the places. Those are the places. The wild, my website, and Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, no, your, uh, your, your works, uh, wonderfully displayed on, on, on the website and it's, yeah, it's, it's nice to see the, those pieces and, you know, as a, you just pieces are in different spots, you get to pull them together for folks. So, um, yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. It's, it's, that's, that's great stuff. Um, so I, I really enjoyed chatting about like, you know, philosophy, like science and like that, this idea of the worlds that you talk, that you, that you talk about. Um, I really just think it's like expanded my, like that ocean space, like <laughs> idea is so like marvelous. Cause it's like, when I think about the explorations and talking to you and thinking about this show, it's, it's, it's expansive on out. It's like trying to recognize what we don't know, which is like goes back to like philosophy. It's like if you're smart, you know you don't know shit. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. They're... I don't know if that's what how Socrates said it in Greek, but <laughs> probably think... probably along those lines. <laughs> I think you know everything. <laughs> you're a schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true. Yeah, that's that's our that's our conclusion. Um, Chloe, uh, great, great fortune uh, to you and everything uh, you do. Um, uh, love your work. And um, I'm very glad that uh, the listeners will be able to uh, come in contact with your thoughts. And, uh, and everybody check out uh, Chloe Nicholas. Uh, really enjoy her work. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
This is Something Rather Than Nothing.